Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, this September hosting the virtual 21st running of Hoosiers Outrun Cancer, a 5K run-slash-walk supporting those in the community facing a cancer diagnosis. Registration and more at HoosiersOutrunCancer.org. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the WFIU-WTIU news team. I'm co-hosting with Sarah Whitmire, the news bureau chief of WFIU-WTIU. We've been recording the show remotely since March to avoid the risk of spreading infection. We've definitely changed the way that we're working. And today we're talking about changes in the workplace in general brought on by COVID-19. We have three guests joining us on our Zoom call. Pat East is Executive Director of the Dimension Mill in Bloomington. Stephanie Andal is the is IUPUI Department of Psychology Assistant Professor. And Amy Carter is the Indiana Institute for Working Families Community Outreach and Engagement Coordinator. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. You can send us questions there, and you can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. Well, thanks for being here with us today. Uh, Pat East, I'd like to start with you. Could you talk about uh, about the mill and how this, you know, what's happening now in the world, how it may be related to what you were trying to do at the mill to begin with? Yeah, so uh, the mill is, uh, well, first, thanks for having me on. Uh, the, the mill is uh, 19,000 square feet of co-working and incubator space in downtown Bloomington. Um, our mission here is to launch and accelerate startups. Um, and along with that, we have a lot of remote workers, a lot of freelancers, graphic designers, consultants who rent desks from us on a month-to-month basis. And so this is kind of the the future of uh, how we think people are going to work where they don't necessarily go to an office every day. Um, they may want to work from home a couple days a week. They may want to work from the mill a couple days a week. Uh, their coworkers are really at, at that point, folks who work at other companies, they want to get ideas and inspiration from lots of different, um, uh, lots of different points of views. Um, w- which may or may not include their their actual coworkers and their company, and so we think this is going to be uh, just the way that that people work in the future. Given that remote working is so ubiquitous um, now, especially with COVID nineteen, but but even before, uh, lots of uh, information jobs and knowledge jobs were very much the types of work that that you didn't have to be tied to a desk in in any given city. You weren't bound by geographic location. And so we think this is definitely going to be the the future of how folks work. So Stephanie, um, Pat, and the the people who are working at the mill were sort of experiencing this before they had to. Uh, How prepared do you think was the rest of the state's workforce to make these changes in such a hurry? That's a great question. Um, Yeah, this was quite an abrupt transition to remote work. Um, And that's led to a series of different challenges. I mean, uh, just the other day, uh, Zoom went down nationally. And so our, you know, our quick dependence on uh, technology was put to the test quite quickly. Um, So that um, there's definitely there's we were not prepared. (laughs) Um, And I think that that's created a lot of challenges. Well, for employees themselves in terms of dealing with the technology, trying to understand what to use, coordinating with others from afar, and then also challenges for organizations themselves in terms of, you know, logistically how to handle all of their employees being working remotely so suddenly and quickly. We'll talk about a lot of the stresses. Uh, I will say that you know, anybody, anybody who was listening to this show last week, um, they heard me take an early exit 10 minutes before the show was at over, not planned, but my internet went down. So uh, our producer had to step in and finish the show. I mean, that's just the way things that, you know, way we're operating these days. Amy Carter, what's this mean for working families? You're the Indiana Institute for Working Families. You're the Community Outreach and Engagement Coordinator. How's this affecting our families? It's a lot. 
we are a program of the Indiana Community Action Association, and so we are connected to our 22 community action agencies, and all of them had to go remote in March. And in some of those areas, internet is unreliable or even unavailable. So that's just from the service provider perspective, but many people are out of work and not able to work from home. Um, a lot of those work from home jobs are higher income and um, more white people have those jobs. So uh, it's exacerbating disparities that were there before. Yeah, and besides those disparities, what about the fact that so many uh, school kids are having to actually take their classes online? I mean, that has to be having a big effect on families as well. It is huge. So we uh, put out a survey asking women how they've been affected by COVID and that answer came up a lot. I wanna read a couple of the things they said because they're saying it better than I could. Um, they said income changed because I resigned from my teaching position, anticipating my staying at home to help my children with their education. Um, another person said, um, when we asked for further comments, my child is doing e-learning. So that sits with me as my husband is at another school. I wonder every day if I will ever be back to where I was financially. To be the breadwinner as a working mom is emotionally and psychologically draining in a way people don't always get. I used to think being a working mom was the best thing ever. Now I feel like a disappointment at everything. So I think in addition to being at home with kids and trying to work while kids are e-learning, the psychological toll is huge on families. Um, this is hard. And we had several people comment that they had kids with special needs who were staying at home and that is not working well for their learning. So the long-term effects of this um, keep me up at night sometimes, but I trust that we have advocates that are doing good work and policymakers who will listen and make good choices. So I'm holding on to that hope. Stephanie Andel from uh, IUPUI's Department of Psychology. So how does that, um, how does that compare to the kind of things you're, you're hearing and the kind of stressors that you're hearing from people that you're working with? Yeah, um, so the work-family balance issue is huge, um, consistently coming up, right? A lot of folks are working from home, and so they've been suddenly put in this position where, you know, they're trying to figure out their new work technology and all these new changes at home for, or for work, while also, you know, trying to help their children, maybe even homeschooling their children um, as they're trying to deal with their own e-learning. And um, so it creates a lot of challenges. Um, and this, we are finding this is the case, um, you know, especially for working moms who are taking, do tend to take a lot of the um, household and childcare tasks. Um, so that's definitely uh, a theme that, you know, I've been seeing as well in the research. So Pat East, when you, when you uh, think about the work that goes on in, at the mill, I mean, it's a, it's a different kind of work style there because people weren't going into you know, they're, they're big offices anymore. There was a, it was a co-work space. It, it is a co-work space. Yet it was important, it seems to me, from all the conversations we've had, that people be in the same place, that there be some people, there be some energy. For I think you talk about uh, collisions, people walk, you know, walking down the hall and just talking with each other. I mean, how, is that still happening at the mill? And, and how important do you think that's going to be as we transition to this, a lot of people working from home situation. Yeah, the, those collisions that you talk about are, are certainly still happening at the mill. Um, they're, uh, they're happening fewer because folks are working at the mill less. Um, you know, we, we lost about one third of our membership whenever we, uh, you know, whenever we had to close the building for stay in place in, in March. And well, a good chunk of those folks came back. Um, Folks are, I, I think, still reticent to, to come back on a, on a regular basis. I think uh, part of that is uh, COVID, obviously, even though we've made a lot of building changes um, and have a lot of safety precautions in place. But part of that is just childcare, um, right? It's really tough to, um, 
be able to care for your uh, child when uh, when you have to do that and work at the same time and, you, and you're just physically not able to do that at the mill and so there's you know there's fewer people here uh, but th there are still collisions happening on a regular basis uh, lots of folks are are still doing really good work and doing really important work is just happening uh, probably on a, a slightly smaller scale in general but Probably happening more from homes now uh, than it is uh, directly at the mill. Uh, long term, obviously, we want folks to come back to the mill not only for um, uh, selfish reasons because we we need to generate revenue here, but but also because the more members we have here, it's a it, you know there's a network effect. The more members we have here, the more everybody else benefits because of those collisions of oh you're working on this. Well, I can I can help you with this or I can connect you with that person, or here's something I did uh, a handful of weeks ago that helped me, or let me connect you to this graphic designer that was really helpful. So uh, some of those over the shoulder conversations don't take place now. Um, and so I think uh, long-term we, we'd all love to get back to that place where, uh, where we're able to have more of those over the shoulder conversations and those serendipitous moments where, where we just run into folks. I know that you've always kind of kept your eye on, you know, what's next and, and where things are going. And, and I know you've got some pretty strong ideas about, um, you know, what this all means. And if, if we're ever going to get back to the way things were, I mean, how do you see the future of the workplace? So I think the future of the workplace is going to be really revolving around a, a couple of things. One, I do think co-working spaces uh, are, are going to, continue to grow as more people realize that their jobs can be done remotely. They don't won't necessarily want to work from home. And so they'll want, they'll want to work in a, a place where they can have a little bit better separation uh, for that work-life balance. And I think the other thing that we'll see in the future is that with, um, you know, places where folks go into the office uh, on a regular basis, I think instead of being quote unquote office first, they will be quote unquote internet first, meaning that regardless of where you work, uh, whether it's at the office or you're working remotely or in a co-working space, you're gonna connect to the internet first and then that connects you to everybody else. It's gonna be unlike the current model, the office where um, you uh, connect to your coworkers through the, through the main headquarters first. And so if you're a remote worker, you probably felt this a little bit sometimes you're out of the loop about what happens because you're that remote worker and folks don't think of internet first, they think of office first. And I think the, the uh, COVID-19 forcing everybody into this uh, uh, quick experiment of remote work is gonna flip it, uh, flip that on its head. And I think it's gonna be a permanent flip. Sarah? Yeah, I'm curious a little bit more about that just in terms of as employers, I wonder what they're doing right now. Maybe you can speak a little bit about this from, from Hannapin's perspective, just in terms of long-term strategy and, and folks working from home, how that could benefit productivity or not, and also even financially the benefits of having people work from home. Yeah, so my my other hat before uh, I, I uh started working at the mill was I was CEO of Hannapin Marketing and I sold that earlier this year uh, to our largest UK competitor and, and I still keep in touch with those folks so I kind of have an idea of how they're they're working throughout this pandemic. Uh, even before the pandemic uh, we were we were partially remote um, so about one third of our workforce worked uh, full-time remote and everybody else worked a couple days remote even if they were uh, here located in Bloomington. And, and the reason for that is because uh, I think it's a, you know, we're seeing a lot of this happen right now where we're seeing kind of these short-term uh, productivity increases where folks can be heads down on work at home because nobody's bothering them. Nobody's doing those over-the-shoulder conversations. And I think in the short term, that just allows you to uh, figuratively put on some blinders and just crank out a bunch of work. Um, I think long-term though, that's probably not super healthy for us because we do need those, um, you know, person-to-person -person interactions, you know, while, uh, while it may not be helpful to find out how Bob's weekend went or what Mary's doing uh, next weekend, 
over time it does be it is helpful obviously to develop those relationships um, so that everything isn't so transactional so i do think that in the short term you know we're getting uh, some decent productivity boost but i do think in the long term it's probably healthier for us to um, either be in the office probably not full-time because i think there is some benefit to to just kind of cranking out some work without interruptions um, at your home or, or at a at a co-working space uh, but I do think maybe having having a mix of those uh, would be very helpful. Um, and I think the other thing I might add is that, you know, a lot of companies are thinking about uh, the office space differently, not just in terms of office first or internet first, but quite literally I've heard um, offices talked about as quote unquote furniture storage. Do we want to just have desks and chairs there and people go in there periodically, or is there a way where we can modify the workplace so that when folks do come in, it is to deepen relationships. And so I think that's something that is kind of emerging. And as folks um, come out of the pandemic and as we're able to open up the economy a little bit more, I, I think we'll see uh, a little bit more evolution of exactly uh, what that means in terms of deepening relationships at the office and how, uh, and how the office might physically change in order to support that. Amy? I would be remiss if I didn't add to this conversation and just draw our attention to so many of the low income workers who are not able to take advantage of this work at home. We have people who are home health aides, who are caregivers, who work at fast food or retail. And those are often lower income jobs and I think it's great that we are finding that people can work from home well. I know that people in the disability community have been asking for those things for a long time. And this has revealed that the option is way more viable than they were given credit for. Um, but I do want us to think about what the future looks like for people who don't have that option, especially as we're not providing um, the protections for workers, especially with the pandemic, that we should. Yeah, I think um, certainly we'll talk about that more too, Bob. I know we both have a lot of questions. Amy, while, um, while you're up, I'd like to ask you a question we just got from John. And his question is, how adequately is IOSHA responding to local complaints about employers who aren't following measures to protect their workers against COVID-19 exposure? Think you can answer that one? I do not have experience with IOSHA. Uh, so I I don't know how well they're responding. Um, so I, I don't want to make any assumptions about any of that. I'm sorry. That's all right. Either or the other, either uh, Stephanie or Pat, do you have any, any experience in this area or any anything to add? Sorry, I don't have any experience in, in that. I, I can tell you we have had uh, our, our own experience at the mill where we have had one person, one member uh, who, who contracted COVID. Um, he wasn't, uh, he was only in the building for maybe five minutes. He had contracted it somewhere else. And, and so we, you know, we were able to uh, kind of isolate him because he was only in the building for a short amount of time. And we took our normal precautions uh, but we really don't have any experience with our members not following protocols. Um, everybody's been really, really great about that. And we've been very lucky in that respect. Okay. We're talking about changes in the workplace today on Noon Edition. If you want to join us on the program, you can send us your questions to at Noon Edition on Twitter or to news at indianapublicmedia.org. Stephanie, we've talked about uh, some stress on people who are working from home, but there are also heavy stressors on those people who are working on the front lines. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, there are a wide array of stressors, um, as both um, Amy and Pat have alluded to. So, of course, one major stressor is fear of exposure, right? A lot of these folks are consistently working um, with the public or in close proximity to others. And so that fear is, you know, constantly in the back, of, has to constantly be in their back of their minds, even if there are safety protocols in place. Um, additionally, what this does is this creates even more of this kind of these work and family 
um, collisions, right? So if we have this fear of exposure, then we're also going to have fear of bringing potential, potentially bringing the virus back to the people that we love. Um, so I've done some research, for instance, with healthcare professionals or specifically nurses who um, who uh, have talked about that fear quite a bit, right? They're very concerned about um, how this is impacting not only their own health, but also the health of their family and loved ones. Um, in addition, uh, one thing I'd like to mention is a lot of these essential workers are customer facing and they're the ones who are responsible for, you know, enforcing the policies of mask wearing um, and social distancing. And so unfortunately, they're also experiencing quite a bit of customer mistreatment um, or there's some reports of you know, customers maybe not being so nice. And so that's another uh, stressor that is you know, consistently showing up, especially uh, within service occupations. Um, and then one other thing I'd like to add is a lot of folks, you know, as Amy mentioned, a lot of these folks um, uh, don't have as many resources. Perhaps they don't have, you know, paid sick leave. So they're going to feel obligated to come to work, whether it be pressure put on by their employers or maybe they don't have a choice um, because, like I said, they don't have paid sick leave and, they, you know, they, they of course need, um, you know, the paycheck um, and, Sometimes there's just not enough coverage. So for these reasons, you know, feeling obligated to come to work, especially in these situations, and especially if there's not enough um, or insufficient safety protocols, that can be quite stressful as well. Um, Stephanie, if I can follow up on that, you know, these mm -hmm. these interactions between, you know, customers and the uh, those frontline employees, like people at a retail store or or a restaurant that have to tell people you have to wear a mask. Um, what about the stress? I mean, I, I'm just trying to, to figure out why people have become so mean on the other side. You know, they know they have to wear shoes into a business. They know they have to wear a shirt into a business. Uh, there's been a, a lot said about why you should wear a mask into this business. So why is it, you know, why is it creating such a, such a uh, conflict among people? <laughs> You know, that is a great question, and I really wish I had the answer. I think that that's, um, you know, the result of a lot of miscommunications, um, you know, uh, through various sources that have kind of created, It's it's been um, moved away from more, from a, a public health issue to more of a, maybe like a, a political issue or um, for some other reason. So, um, yeah, for whatever reason, uh, customer service employees have been, you know, experiencing the brunt of this. And it, that's definitely been quite a challenge for them. Amy, I think you had something you wanted to say. I did. I got so excited that Steph mentioned paid sick leave because that is something we at the Institute care so deeply about. Um, the family's first coronavirus response act was actually the first time the U.S. had a national paid leave program just this year. Uh, and it's limited to two weeks emergency sick leave and up to 10 weeks if your child's school or daycare is closed because of COVID. Uh, but I'm so hopeful that we can see now the importance of having paid sick leave, um, paid family leave to care for family members who are sick. Um, because as Steph said, people are making this horrible choice between caring for a kid or caring for someone who's sick or being sick themselves and going into work because they need the paycheck and they need to pay their rent and buy food and things like that. So um, we have been working in the Equality Pays Coalition and welcome anyone who wants to be part of that fight to join us because it's essential. It has been essential, but going forward, we have to make sure that we use this small bit of momentum to make that a priority at the national level and at the state level. Amy, could you just talk a little bit more about the childcare issue? Because that just seems like a, a huge issue here, even as we're talking about the, you know, one of the reasons to send kids back to school is so the economy can get going. It's overwhelming. Uh, I saw a tweet today that was looking at the Bureau of Labor Statistics job data that was just released, and it shows no recovery at all nationwide for childcare in August. Employment is still 20% um, since February. And this sector is virtually all women and disproportionately women of color. So when we are failing to pass 
economic um, recovery acts when Congress is failing to make those decisions to support childcare, not only can people not go to work because they can't take their children to childcare, but the people working in childcare are not having jobs. And, and those are women and people of color. And we really have to pay attention to that um, disproportionate impact because it's going to increase already there um, inequalities from the systemic racism that we have built into a lot of our a lot of our society. You all have a soapbox here today. So what other things do you want to see come out of state and the national government uh, that might help um, workers in the long term? I'll ask. So uh, Pat. Many... Okay, go ahead. Amy, is, I was, just go ahead. I get just so excited <laughs> because this is what we do. We work on policy and, and talking, we work for, you know, low income Hoosiers, and this is not often something that they get to talk about and that we get to promote. So um, I think now is the time to look at wages. We are working with um, some documentary filmmakers who made a, a movie called Waging Change because the tipped minimum wage is $2.13. Um, and I think we're seeing just how important it is to have strong, like I said, paid leave, but strong wages, strong um, work sharing is something that really could have prevented some people from losing the income. Uh, this is a time when we can look at TNF, which is the cash welfare program and SNAP, which is food stamps, because these programs are more essential now than ever. And I didn't mean to cut you off, um, but this is just the heart of what we do at the Institute. And um, I would love any soapbox to talk more about these policies. That's okay. I love I love the uh, giving you the opportunity. Could you say a little more about the tipped minimum wage? I'm pretty, I'm sure that a lot of our listeners know what you mean by that, but some may not. So if you are a tipped worker, uh, like a waitress, um, you only have to be paid $2.13 an hour by your employer with the idea that tips will make up at least enough to get you to minimum wage, which is still only $7.25 an hour, woefully inadequate. Um, and so if your tips don't get you up to that per hour, your employer is to pay that. Um, but it just puts, again, a lot of servers are women, um, puts them in the direct path of people who will take advantage of the fact that their income comes from those tips. Um, you know, they're often hit on when they can't, um, they can't turn it down because that's how they pay their bills. So it's kind of tangential to the pandemic, but when we're talking about people losing jobs and wages and all of this, um, we have to include that in there. And what's the policy solution to that? Just higher minimum wage? Yes, sir. Okay. Stephanie, do you want to uh, do you want to grab the soapbox now or are there what are what are some public policy changes that you think would be helpful to um to workers? I think you're on mute, so. Yeah, go ahead. Nope, oh, now you're muted again. I'm I'm sorry, it cut out right um right when you were asking your question. Oh, I was just asking. It was the my question was about uh, public policy changes that that you would be in favor of to try to you know help uh, de-stress workers or help uh, workers during a time of a pandemic. Yeah, well, I mean, I would echo a lot of what Amy already said. Um, really, you know, providing those resources. Um, you know, the increasing. Uh, you know, of course, minimum wage would, you know, reduce a lot of the anxieties. Um, also providing um, even, you know, paid sick leave for folks who are uh, maybe not full-time workers. Um, for right now, we're seeing a lot of people feel obligated to come to work, even if they are experiencing symptoms, right? So um, if they had the assurance that they would, they could stay home and still at least get, you know, a paycheck, um, for staying home when they feel sick, you know, that would definitely have 
a lot of important implications for our public health and also for our psychological health as well. Okay. I'm just a a follow-up to that real quick. Um, I'm wondering just about the timing of putting sort of this paid sick leave onto employers when a lot of those are struggling to stay, to keep their doors open. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a great point. Um, you know, so this is all kind of, you know, thinking in an ideal world, but um, certainly we need to think of, you know, the, the feasibility of some of these things um, in terms of other opportunity or other options, um, you know, at, at least providing if we if we can't always provide the paid sick leave, pro- ensuring that there's um, sufficient backups, right, and creating schedules so that um, when folks do need to take time off, um, that there's uh, enough coverage, so they have the op- they feel like they have the option to um, to you know take the day off. Um, so, yeah, that would be you know some solutions I could think of. Okay, Amy, this is something that we hear often as we are fighting for paid leave: is what will it do for businesses? And um, the Families First Coronavirus Act is reimbursed, so businesses are not being hit with that. Um, and then for for paid leave at the state level, we've been looking into uh, sort of like a pool that employees would pay, I think it's a dollar something a paycheck. And then if they need to take leave, employers can use money from that pool to hire a replacement or pay overtime for people. And that's something where we need it to be a full statewide policy so that that pool is big enough to make it work. Um, so that's one of the solutions that we've looked at at the state level. Um, and there are only two countries in the world that don't offer um, paid leave, and it's us and one other. And so there's got to be a way we can figure out how to do it if the rest of the world has. Patty, um, you- I'd like to offer uh, uh, another perspective just as a, a CEO of a, of a fast-growing company, and, and that's that, you know, it it may feel or seem difficult to implement some of these policies um, on a company by company basis, but I guarantee you as somebody who's implemented them himself, along with the help of a staff, of course, that they're much easier to implement than, than maybe what it seems like, um, especially in the press. And so, you know, just as an example, when we implemented uh, paid uh, uh, parental leave a handful of years ago, we had resisted implementing it for for a very long time because you know it, just the cost of paying somebody for um, twelve weeks is is an enormous cost for a business to bear. But once you started breaking that down, it's actually it's actually not as expensive a, as what it seems. So you know half of that can be paid with short term disability, um, and that's a a very, very short or, or very, very low expense for either the employee or the or the company. Um, part of that can be paid with uh, paid time off, which um, you know a lot of white collar jobs are already, are already doing. And so you probably got two thirds to three fourths of the cost right there. Um, and then of course, you know it would be up to the company to uh, to do the rest. Um, and, and so once we kind of started looking at it from a much more objective analytical perspective and figured out how we can actually tackle it instead of just having kind of this uh, knee jerk reaction of, oh, it's you know 12 weeks of paying somebody um, and that seems like a high cost. Once we actually dug into it, it was, it was much easier to implement than, um, uh, than, what, uh, than what we originally thought. And so I would really encourage other CEOs and other business owners out there to uh, to uh, to do the same thing now may not be a great time to to raise wages, um, but think about how you could do that when your business is in a is is in a better financial position in the future. It's probably a bit easier than than maybe what you think it is. Pat, I know when you were at Hannapin, when you were running Hannapin, it was uh, time after time it was listed as a great place to work, and all these you know all these different. Um, publications and all these competitions or whatever. Um, what are some other ways that, you know, looking forward that companies are going to be able to attract people to work for them if they're working from home or if they're working, you know, in an office or whatever, what are the kinds of 
benefits that you think need to be added to the portfolio of, of these businesses going going forward? So, especially in these in these COVID times where everybody is working remote, is uh, just to have as um, high end remote work equipment as possible, and so. That means uh, a really good laptop that uh, runs when you want it to run. It's a software that you need to be able to do your job. A lot of um, software isn't a one-time purchase. It's a uh, it's a small monthly fee, and so we're really uh, able to get a lot of uh, access to really great software. It's having a headset, um, so if you're uh, on the phone a lot, you can more easily communicate with. Uh, with your coworkers and, and customers. Um, it's paying for furniture or desks uh, for somebody to work from home, right? Rather than uh, rather than uh, simply telling somebody or asking them to uh, work from their, their kitchen table. Can you can you subsidize the cost of a an actual workspace in their home so that uh, so that they're just kind of in, in a better mindset. And so I think maybe just doing some of those things uh, especially now that folks have really been forced into this remote work experience, uh, remote work experience, I, I think those things are going to be table stakes in the future. But at least right now, there's an opportunity for some companies to spend just a little bit more money, uh, but to be able to leapfrog other other companies who uh, who aren't providing those things. Okay, we have about 20 minutes to go. If you have questions or comments about how the workplace is changing and how the workforce is changing, you can send them to us, send us the questions or the comments to news at indianapublicmedia.org. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So are there other tips that, um, Pat, I guess I'd start with you again on this, tips that you could give for being productive when you're working from home and also either, you know, Amy and Stephanie, you might have ideas as well. Um, I think the first tip I would have for folks working from home is, is just to, you know, remind yourself that you're really not working from home. You, you happen to be working at home, but it's during a pandemic. And and I think those two things are, are, are very different. I think even for the folks who, we're working from home before the pandemic. They're noticing, um, you know, they're noticing that they're more fatigued now, um, and, and part of that is just because um, the the conditions that we're working under are are very different. We're in kind of this purgatory right now where uh, we're not sure when we can go back to the office. So that's kind of kind of hanging over us. If you are in the events industry, you're wondering uh, how far out you should push your next event. Um, and so I think that's probably the first step is to, is to, you know, just recognize that you're not working from home, you're working at home during a pandemic. Um, you know, I think the other things that folks can do to, to be more uh, productive at home, um, and I'll really kind of take the perspective of a, of a CEO versus uh, an employee are, you know, be, um, have extra empathy for, your employees understand that they are uh, that there's always something going on in people's lives even before the pandemic but when you layer this on with uh, uh, you know with the pandemic a recession and racial issues there's a lot happening in people's lives that you may not realize that that they don't want to bring to the office or they don't want to bring to their coworkers. they don't want to burden them with that and so just having extra empathy for folks um, and understanding that if somebody's having a rough day, um, th- that that's okay every once in a while. Uh, we all have rough days before the pandemic. We'll have rough days during the pandemic. We'll we'll all get through it. But um, I think right now we just need a, a little bit of extra care. Um, and I think the other thing that maybe uh, employers and CEOs can do is have um, have uh, kind of an extreme flexibility with daycare options. Uh, folks really don't have uh, daycare options right now. Um, you know, folks, uh, at least in MCCSC, they're not able to go to, to school yet. And so you, uh, you're having to figure out how to be, uh, the teacher, the daycare provider, uh, the IT consultant to troubleshoot, uh, in addition to actually doing your job. And, and so, um, you know, the, the, 
you know, kids are going to have problems throughout the day and, and they can't figure everything out on your own. And, and so there just needs to be a lot of flexibility with daycare. Even if you can hire somebody to uh, handle some of those issues on a regular basis, if you're in that position, you still need some flexibility because not all those folks are going to be 100% reliable. So I think that extreme uh, flexibility with, with daycare, especially if you're a CEO, just giving that giving that option to your employees is, is super important right now for them to be just as productive as possible, knowing that they have that um, psychological safety of, uh, of being able to say, okay, I tried my hardest. I was productive as I could be. I'll try and get tomorrow. I wasn't able to control this, but I'm not going to get dinged on my next review because of uh, a pandemic, a recession, uh, racial issues that are uh, quite literally out of my control. Amy? I'm so glad that you said that, Pat. Um, I mean, childcare is huge for people right now. Um, trying to manage e-learning and the different platforms and all of that. Uh, I wanted to highlight one of the responses we got from women in our survey. One of them said that her income changed because she was fired due to not meeting expectation caused by a lack of childcare directly related to COVID-19. So we cannot underscore the importance of childcare enough. People are trying to do their very best working from home um, if they have that opportunity and it's really hard. So I think that's something companies can do too going forward to entice employees to work for them is um, having daycare options or stipends or things that will help with that huge cost. It's, um, bouncing off of that, um, there's a lot of research on what we call family supportive supervi supervisor behaviors um, the, that are simply behaviors that help employees manage their work and family roles. So, for instance, you know, providing flexibility when needed, sharing ideas with employees about how to balance their work and family lives, um, providing accommodations as much as possible and being understanding when, you know, employees have their children in the background of Zoom calls, all of these things really um, help to create a family supportive environment. And right now that's more important than ever. Stephanie, can you talk a little bit about how, especially, you know, collaborative work spaces where now they're being, they have to do their work remotely. I'm just wondering about just the psychological effects on that when they're not, you know, Zoom is no replacement for being able to work collaboratively on, on a project. And if you have any, any suggestions of things that are uh, good ways to, to improve that. Yeah, well, you're absolutely correct that this experience, you know, communication and collaboration is very different now. Um, and that's actually created a lot of other issues, for instance, um, feelings of isolation and loneliness. So that's been a major problem with, you know, everybody working remotely uh, very quickly. Um, and as you mentioned, it's also challenging in terms of, or created challenges in terms of working together. Um, and so one issue in particular related to that is communication is much more difficult, right? Um, now we're t finding, you know, that we're depending more on technology to communicate, whether it be through email or through chat. And we when we have these mediated forms of communication, it provides more opportunities for, you know, miscommunications and um, unclear messages. And um, so, I would say one suggestion is, you know, whenever we have, if it's just quick communications, something small, you know, it's fine to send it through chat or email. But if you are needing to convey a message that is critical, very important, um, then, you know, you definitely want to try to create or use a less mediated form of communication. For instance, do it over a Zoom call if possible um, so that uh, we have those, not, you know, you have those nonverbal cues to ensure that the message is, um, there's not, you know, the message is clear. Um, related to that though, there is also what we call Zoom fatigue, right? I think we've all felt it. We were, especially if we're, if we're working from home, I know I've had many Zoom meetings every day uh, for, the, for many weeks. Um, so keep in mind that um, Zoom is not always the answer, right? I think it's important to kind of balance out um, the amount of you know, video calls that we are scheduling each day as well. I could follow up on that. I mean, one of the things that I I would say I've personally felt is 
it's really tough to be your own your own IT department, <laughs> you know. Yes. So, uh, could you talk a little bit about that as a stressor during this time? Absolutely. Yeah, the tech technology challenges is incredibly stressful. It creates a lot of anxiety. Um, there's a lot of pressure. Um, in addition, another you know issue related to technology or something that's adding to it is um, there are some reports of companies using you know electronic monitoring to ensure that their employees are remaining productive. For instance, requiring them to keep their cameras on while they're working throughout the day. All of this you know creates not more opportunities for technology issues, of course, but then it also creates a lot of anxiety and stress when there's, it's already a really difficult time, you know, dealing with the pandemic and all the other stressors that we've talked about. So, um, yeah, the technology has definitely led to a lot of it. Okay. Thank you. And Amy, um, you know, I'm one of the lucky ones because I, I do have a lot of equipment at home that I don't know really how to use, but I try, uh, but there are a lot of people that don't have this again, sort of highlights the the gap between different kinds of people, correct? Absolutely. Um, I mean, even one of my coworkers just this week was talking about having to print assignments for some of her kids' work and wondering how many people have a printer at home. Um, how many people can absorb the cost of buying a printer so that their kid can do their e-learning, um, you know, the reliability of internet, uh, you know, you got kicked off your meeting last week, right. like you said, I mean, um, yeah, if people have trouble accessing those things, then as Steph said, it's incredibly stressful. Um, and just a reason to look at, I've heard some people say internet as, um, not a privilege, but like a public utility. We're seeing how much we need it to interact even at the most basic level. And Pat, you addressed this a little bit when you talked about how it was really important for people, for companies, for a CEO to make sure that that uh, his or her employees had all the right equipment. Um, how, you know, how prevalent do you think that is? Do you think that's a something I know people at the mill do they talk about that? Is this one of the issues that you uh, you converse with folks there about? Yeah, I think having the right tools is, is extremely important. And I think, you know, when you're going through uh, a recession, maybe it's, it, you know, in business it is tougher to come by. It, it's maybe easier to say, hey, I'm not going to invest in X tool or Y piece of software. And I think now is the time when you need to double down on that because it's not just, hey, I'm saving $10 a month by not buying this software. It's you're saving $10 a month, but you're also decreasing productivity of an employee. And during a, a pandemic, it, it, you know, that's really going to um, compound itself quite a bit. Um, you know, small things uh, can start to become big things when you have these additional stressors of a pandemic and a recession and, and racial issues on top of that. And so I think now's the time for, for companies to, to double down on that. And I think now's a, uh, you, you know, we've seen a really, really urgent and important need for communities to have widespread internet access, you know, with students um, not being able to go to school, not literally not everyone has internet access. And so these kids are um, having to figure out how to get their assignments done. They have to still go to school to pick them up and and so forth. And and they may have to go to Taco Bell to, to get Wi-Fi access. These things are, uh, you know, the, these add additional stressors onto folks. And so I think now is a, you know, while it's still in front of us, it's a great time for communities to to really take up the mantle of making sure everybody has widespread internet access. I love that Mayor Hamilton took this up uh, a couple of years ago and and I think now would be uh, a, another great time on top of everything else uh, they're trying to do, obviously. I, I think now would be an opportune time while uh, everybody is literally feeling it who has kids in school uh, to make sure everybody has that internet access. Amy, I know we don't have a lot of time left, but could you just talk um, a little bit about advice for people, how you manage up in situations like this? If you 
don't feel safe, how you can talk with your employer about some possible accommodations, or if you're working from home and you don't have what you need, how, how can you have those sort of conversations? That's difficult because uh, a lot of times people are afraid to ask for those accommodations. Um, we've been working on trying to get pregnancy accommodations in the workforce, which I know isn't pandemic related, but we heard from women who needed a chair at their checkout counter or something and were afraid to ask because they were afraid they would get fired or lose hours. Um, so I think it depends. It depends on the industry you're in and it depends on your workplace if if that's going to be an option. And I think that's a deeper conversation about how we treat workers and how we protect workers that goes beyond the worker taking the responsibility of that and um, really having employers recognize the worth of their employees. Yes, I completely agree. I would say that, you know, it's it's incredibly important for organizations to provide avenues for employees to to provide their feedback, right? It's important that they solicit the feedback from employees. Um, you know, what do they need? What do they want? Um, not only will this help provide them with the resources that they're lacking, um, and clearly there's many right now when we're in the midst of all this, but um, also this ability to uh, provide this feedback is going to create a more of a sense of community and, you know, help employees feel like they are being heard and they're a part of the organization and they're not being, you know, forgotten about during this time. Stephanie, in the last minute that we have, I know that you did, you've done some work on something called cyber loafing and searching yeah. the web at work. And can you sort of talk a little bit about how it's okay for people to take breaks and, try to make sure they're taking care of themselves during this time. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So breaks or what I like to call micro breaks um, are there's just a small breaks of a few minutes, you know, whether it be surfing the web, which would be, you know, cyber loafing, um, searching the web for non-work purposes, taking a quick break to step outside um, to grab a cup of coffee. You know, research shows that these micro breaks of just a few minutes are, helpful in you know, breaking up the, the groundhog uh, phenomena that a lot of us are experiencing in which we feel like we're living the same day every day. Um, but it also helps to reduce some feelings of burnout, right? This is a lot. We're dealing with a lot, um, as we've mentioned. And so, you know, being kind to ourselves, providing those breaks um, is very helpful in terms of rejuvenating our mental energy and ensuring that we really, you know, are resilient and can can keep moving forward. All right. Thank you very much, Stephanie Andell, and also Amy Carter and Patties. Thanks for being here with us today. I want to thank uh, all three of those guests, and I want to thank producers Bentham Boutier and John Bailey, engineers Matt Stonecipher and Mike Pashkash, and my co-host Sarah Whitmire. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for, thanks for listening to Noon Edition. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program is available at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Production support comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, this September hosting the virtual 21st running of Hoosiers Outrun Cancer, a 5K run slash walk supporting those in the community facing a cancer diagnosis. Registration and more at HoosiersOutrunCancer.org.